0: Yo, today's QOT is being good at something isn't a good enough reason to do it. Here we go. the day show. I'm your host Sean Croxton of SeanCroxton.com. We've got Sir Ken Robinson on the show today and he's going to give you something to think about, to ponder, to contemplate as you start your week and that is are you good at what you do? And if you're good at what you do, do you truly love what you do? Or are you doing something that you're just good at but you're not truly passionate about? Here's Sir Ken.
1: And the thing is, what, something that Dalai Lama said was this, that if you think about your lineage, your, I mean your personal lineage, you sitting here now, um, if you think of the number of people who had to meet each other down the centuries, uh, and the circumstances had to come about for them to meet each other, however they did that, however they bumped into each other, Um, How many people had to do that in how many different circumstances and how many different settings uh, through the long march of time till eventually your parents met and under whatever circumstances you were then conceived and then now here you are. The Dalai Lama's point is to be born at all is a miracle. It's a miracle that we're here. And congratulations by the way, (laughs) You you made it where billions didn't, but here you are And you've made it, and you're not here for long. You know, with with the following wind, you've got probably 90 odd years, which is the blink of an eye in cosmic terms. And his comment was simply, he didn't say this in Vancouver, he said it in a a book he was writing about meditation, but he said, to be born at all is a miracle. So what are you going to do with this life? Now that you have it, what are you going to do with it? You're gonna waste it? You're gonna do something interesting with it? You're gonna do something that matters to you or, or not? And this, to me, is where this idea of passion comes in. I published a book uh, last year. I think you've got a copy of it now, haven't you? Have you paid for it? <laughs> I don't see why I should summarise it if you haven't paid for it, frankly. But, <laughs> but... who has paid for it? I'll talk to you privately later on. <laughs> okay, yeah. Come on, we'll go to the pump. No. <laughs> One thing that struck me for a long time is that very many people. Very many people, I'm not saying this is true of you, I don't know, You know, but you'll know if it's true, or you'll know if it's true of people you know, but very many people spend their entire lives doing things they don't really care for. They just get through the week one way or another. They you know, endure their lives and wait for the weekend um, with no real sense of fulfillment, a kind of general sense of tolerance for it or not. And if you want evidence for that, You've only got to look at the annual receipts of the pharmaceutical companies, and the brewing companies. Uh, You only have to look at the levels of crime and and of uh, disengagement. I think of this as the the other climate crisis. You know, we've become used to the idea that there is a crisis in the world's natural resources. There is. I mean, we needn't go into that now, but there was a a group of geologists published a report two years ago. I mean, senior, well-respected geologists, And they refer now, they believe that for the past 200 years, geologically, the planet is in a new period uh, called the Anthropocene. Um, And they say that geologists would recognize in the geological record a distinct and new phase since the last ice age. If you just look at the geological record. Uh, They mean, for the first time in history, a geological age which has been caused by the activities of human beings the Anthropocene. And he said, you can see that in carbon deposits, in the, uh, the extinction of species, in the uh, changing uh, constitution of the oceans and of the atmosphere. Human beings have made an indelible geological imprint on the planet. And you know we don't know, frankly, what the outcome of this is likely to be. But I think there's another climate crisis, which is a crisis which is connected to it of human resources as opposed to natural resources, or in addition to natural resources. What I mean is that most people have no idea what they're capable of. No real sense of their talents or their abilities. And very many people therefore conclude they don't have any. You know, there's nothing special about them. And my conviction has always been to the contrary, that we're all born with deep talents and abilities. It, if you're a human being, it comes with a kit. It's not enough to be good at something to be in your element. I know lots of people who do things they're good at that they don't like. They're just good at it. One of the, uh, I, I published a book in the early 80s called The Arts in Schools. I don't know if any of you know this book. But, uh, it was with the Banking Foundation. We had uh, a brilliant editor on the book called Millicent. And uh, I asked her one day, I said, how long have you been an editor? She said, about five years now. Well, she was in her late thirties at that point. So I said, well, what were you doing before? She said I was a concert pianist. I said, well, what happened? <laughs> Bit of a segue, isn't it? <laughs> By the way, this happens, is not it? We're being brought up with this idea that life is linear, haven't we? This is an idea that's perpetuated when you come to write your CV. You know that you set out your life in a series of dates and achievements, in a linear way, you know, as if your whole existence has progressed in an ordered, structured way to bring you to this current interview that you're having at the moment. And it all gives the impression that we're in control of what we're doing and that our life was not the random series of chaotic events that, that you don't want to present to a prospective employer. Do you? <laughs> you know, my life was uh, a mess right until now, frankly. And, <laughs> I mean, I, I look at my CV occasionally and I think I didn't plan this. I didn't. I mean, I didn't think when I was walking you know, to the Foursquare Temple in Liverpool, if it all goes well, you know, one day I'll be at the Conway Hall, you know, <laughs> talking at the School of Life. You know, you don't plan things like that, do you? I mean, you you take opportunities and you respond to them. But you take them more willingly if they correspond to your own attitudes and sensibilities. So I said to um, Millicent, asked her, why had she taken this well-trodden path from being a concert pianist to being a book editor? And she said, what happened was she was giving a concert uh, in the Purcell room on the South Bank. And at the end of the concert, she went off for dinner with the conductor. And the conductor said, you were brilliant tonight, Millicent. And she said, well, thank you very much. And there was a pause. And then she said, he said, but you didn't enjoy it, did you? She said, enjoy what? She said, the the performance. She said, "Uh, no, no, not especially. He said, do you enjoy it? She said, what, performing? He said, yeah, I said, no, not really. I suppose, not really. He said, why do you do it then? And she said, well, I suppose because I'm good at it. And he said, you know, being good at something isn't a good enough reason to do it, not to spend your life doing it. And she realized what happened was that she'd been born into a musical family. She'd uh, shown a talent. She'd taken all her Guildhall exams, she'd gone to a musically-based school, uh, she went to the Royal College of Music where she had a music degree, and then she did a doctorate music degree, and then she said, as the night follows the day, I progressed onto the concert platform in my mid-twenties, and nobody stopped to ask me if I wanted to do it. And she said, I didn't ask myself, I just took it for granted, that that's what my life was going to be. And she said, it was only when he asked me that, that I realized that I didn't like it. You know, my whole life, she said, the thing that I've loved to do is books. I love reading books, I love writers, I love being with writers, I love the literary culture. And she said, I I crammed it in wherever I could, but I never thought that was an available life for me. And I decided there and then that I was going to do the thing I wanted to do. And she said, at the end of that season, I closed the piano lid, and I've never opened it since. And I've lived in the world I want to be in. I've been writing and working on books. She said, I've never been happier. Never poorer, (laughs) but never happier. (laughs) And that's the thing, that being irrelevant doesn't necessarily entail you know, financial riches, but it does offer you a much surer guarantee of some sort of spiritual fulfillment. And I use the word spiritual advisedly. When I say I have some reservations about organized religion, that's just a personal thing, but not about spiritual things. And I, What I mean by spirit is that sense of what animates your life. Now we use this term all the time in everyday life we talk about being in high spirits or low spirits we talk about being lifted up or down if you're in your element doing whatever it is that you love to do um, uh, then at the end of the day or the end of the week you can be physically exhausted by it but spiritually uplifted but if you're doing things you don't care for at the end of the day you can feel physically fine but down and uh, and needing to lift yourself up again. And in the end, it's about energy. That's all life is, isn't it? It's about energy. It's what stirs your energy, what encourages it, what fuels it, and what takes it from you. And I find that if you're doing things that you love to do, if you're in your element, if you're following a passion of some sort, that you get energy from it. Some activities take it from you, don't they? You spend your life doing something and you feel that it's drained you. But I see people doing things they love to do and their energy levels have risen because of it, because they take energy from the activity, it doesn't drain their energy. And since life is essentially energy, it seems to me rather important that we try to pursue those things for ourselves. And the book is about that, and it's also about the importance of creating the conditions under which that will happen. When I talk about there being another climate crisis, I think it's because so many people have denied themselves that possibility. Now, it doesn't follow that you know what this is in your case. I know a lot of people have stumbled across the things they love to do, and have taken the opportunity when it's arisen. Other times, they have been helped by other people who've seen their talent before they saw it.
0: All right, that was Sir Ken Robinson. His website is sirkenrobinson.com. That talk was so good. I highly recommend you watch the whole thing. It's about maybe an hour and 15 minutes. It's good from beginning to end. You can watch that one on YouTube. Just look up Ken Robinson on passion again that's ken robinson on passion and i highly encourage you to pick up his book the element which is available at amazon.com and at your local booksellers and at qodbooks.com hope you enjoyed today's talk and you're definitely going to enjoy tomorrow's talk with brene brown i will see you then have a great day peace